The Old Testament reading is taken from Hosea, chapter 11, verses 1, <coughs> 1 to 11. In the Red Bible, it's page 908 to 909. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking him by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them, led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their flesh false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me, even though they call me God Most High. I will not, I will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adama? How can I make you like Ziboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come amongst against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria fluttering like doves, I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, please open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, all the way at the end. If you hit the maps, you went too far. Uh, we're going to read chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And uh, as um, we talked about last week, we're going to continue on in this series through uh, Christ's letters to the seven churches. 
uh, in the first three chapters of Revelation. So starting in verse one. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give them the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, as Andy mentioned, with the children, we're going to be talking about love. If you read the liturgy, it was all about the prayer of confession, was about our love for God. And and this morning, uh, when I began thinking about this, I began thinking of sort of funny examples of love. You know, I thought of some funny examples I did with, (laughs) you know, trying to get girls to like me when I was young, like Andy. Um, And and rather than share embarrassing stories of my failure, um, I I thought of also the, the famous American observationist, Jerry Seinfeld. You know, and if you're a dog person, you may have heard this. Jerry Seinfeld once said that if aliens came from outer space and observed us, they would think the dogs are in control. If you see two life forms walking, one is defecating and the other one is cleaning it up, who would you think is in control? (laughs) It's crazy the things we do when we talk about love. I mean, I am a dog person and I think of the things I do. Why, Why do I have a wild animal living in my house? It makes no sense. You know, and you think about the things you do for people. Think about the things you have tried to accomplish in the name of love. It seems completely illogical. It's why I love working with teenagers, right? When a teenager thinks they're in love, or is in love, not just thinks, it's just hilarious. You know what? I know I had a big history test, but I just stayed up all night talking on the phone, so I didn't do so well. Why'd you stay up? I just felt like it. You know, you just, you just, you, you can't even wrap your mind when you feel like you're in love around logic. It makes no sense. And in our letter to the Ephesian church, Christ addresses this topic. In our letter to the Ephesian church, Christ is is talking to this church that has forgotten this love, this sort of crazy illogical love. You know, if you don't know or haven't uh, read a lot about the book or the city of Ephesus, it was a very, very important city in the ancient world. It was um, a well-known trading hub in Asia Minor. It had a giant temple uh, to the Greek goddess Artemis. It had a wonderful library. It's one of the centers of knowledge in the ancient world along with Alexandria. It was a major city. had a thriving church. And we see in verse one that Christ lifts this church up. Look at verse one. He starts by saying, these are the words who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And we know from last week that the seven stars are the seven churches in this area. 
from chapter one, verse 16, if you wanna go look at it. And then in verse two, Jesus says, listen, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. You know, I wanna stop here and remind us of something this morning. You know, Moses was told the same thing by God. When Moses was struggling to free the Israelites and was wondering about why God had oppressed his people, God said to Moses that he sees the cries of his people, that he hears the cries of the Israelites. And that promise carries through all of scripture up until the very end here in Revelation where God says to the church in Ephesus, I see what you're doing. I know you're working hard. We see it all over scripture. And right now, before we move on, I want to encourage you that God sees your work and your heart. Do not think that just because things may be hard, do not think just because there's been a roadblock, do not think just because you feel like you are alone that you are because God knows your struggle. Whatever your struggle is, and in a room this size, plenty of us have struggle. And we cannot think that God has left us because if we examine our heart, I would suggest that if we think God maybe left us or that we're alone, maybe we're actually working for the wrong reasons. Maybe if we feel like we're alone and we feel like we're doing all of our work in vain, that maybe we're actually forgetting the reason we're doing the work in the first place. Maybe instead of relying on the promises of Scripture and the promises of God, we are actually relying on our own selfish gain. I find oftentimes when I feel alone, when I'm hurting, and I feel like, God, why, why am I working so hard? I, in, I look at myself and I realize, oh, I'm doing this for what I can get out of it. I'm looking for some sort of advantage. I'm looking for some sort of reward. I'm looking for someone to come and pat me on the back. And the reason I feel alone is because I'm not getting affirmation from the world. But God says that we ought to rely on his promises and the promises of Scripture. And I wanted to stop here before we continue on just so that you would be encouraged that if you ever feel this way, we all get it. We've all been there. But to know that God cares and that God sees your work. And if we are connected with God, maybe we won't worry so much about the results of our efforts, but we'll be able to focus more on the serving. So no matter where you are, and if you hear nothing else, Hear that God cares and sees your work. God knows. And he continues on to praise the church. He says, listen, I I see your work. I know you don't tolerate wickedness. I know you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. He even goes on in verse 3 to say, I see your perseverance. You guys not only are working hard, but you've continually worked hard. You know, this reminds us of the Galatians passage where Paul says, do not grow weary for doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, like I said, you may be in a time of suffering and hardship, a time of waiting, and you may feel like no one else sees the work you're doing, your family doesn't appreciate you, your boss doesn't appreciate you. You may feel alone, but you are not because God sees and God cares. And we as a church should not grow weary. We should not fall into a trap of doing things just for the return we would receive, but doing things out of the love of God. We as a church have to keep on serving and loving the way the Ephesian church has. We need to keep on working and to be diligent in the things we are good at to take advantage of our gifts we have been given. 
We cannot think of giving up. And we will reap the harvest that we sow. Whatever seeds we sow, that is the harvest then that we will reap according to scripture. And though it's not in our timeline, though we work hard, we want reward immediately. You know, there's something about the credit card generation that just makes us think that everything should come right away. You know, you order something online. Why can't I get it with two-day shipping? That's ridiculous. I want it sent to my doorstep tomorrow. Things don't always operate on our timelines. But God sees and God knows. And we do well to honor and serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Just like the church in Ephesus. However, verse 4 comes around. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. It seems quite clear what Christ is talking about. We know that their first love was not teaching and theology because even though they've come to love teaching and theology, they're continuing to do so. They haven't forgotten that. They do not endure the false teaching. They're holding true to it. They do not tolerate wicked people. Which as a side note, I just want to point out, when it says wicked people, it's, it's people who are habitually evil, people who are habitually wicked, not the one person who makes a mistake and they kick them out. You know, that's, that's not what was happening. That um, this is a, a difficult balance to strike, but uh, as a church, I just want to encourage you, it's a great discussion point. You know, I've had this conversation with many people. How do we as a church handle this idea of sin and tolerate actions people do. And this is a good discussion point if you talk about it in your small groups or in your family ever about the sermon. What'd you learn at church today? It's a good discussion to have. You know, how can we love others when they still might hurt us? We don't want to be, lay our lives down for people who continually hurt us, but how can we love the world even if they're not giving us back what we think they should? It's interesting. But the church in Ephesus, their first love was not hard work and perseverance. They're still doing that. Their first love was not deeds at all. It seemed they had many good deeds. Hard work. God was praising the things they're doing. They're doing all the things that we desire to do. What could possibly be the problem? They've forgotten their first love, why they started doing it. And this isn't just a small problem that Christ says to them, hey, you know what? That's all right. You're so close. Just sort of tweak this little thing. Just sort of turn around here and you'll be fine. No, he goes on in verse 5 to sort of keep pushing and he says, consider how far you have fallen. This is not just a little step off. This is a huge drop off. And he says the answer to this, the answer to this to get back to where you were is not to serve more, is not to have better theology. The answer to this is what? Repentance. I hate this word. You know, it's amazing how if we only read certain verses out of context, we can avoid this word. You know, if you hop around and only read the encouraging verses, um, the Bible's real easy. But, But if you read it all, you get to a verse like this where Christ is telling the church, you have fallen so far that even though you are doing good things, you need to repent Jesus, you're telling me I need to repent of the good things I'm doing? You need to repent of hard work? I need to repent of my diligence? And he says, yes. It seems a little odd to me. I need to repent as a pastor of doing prayer out of habit. 
I need to repent of my Bible study being only for sermons and for work and not for my own heart. I need to repent of loving other people so that they think I'm a good pastor. I need to repent of doing work for the reward or only out of habit and do these things for Christ. You may find yourself serving and doing something for the earthly gain you get, for the reward you may find, and Christ says, no, do it for your first love, the reason you started this whole thing in the first place. And then we will have first things first. Then we will be able to do like scripture says, to seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And then all these other things will be added unto us. See, God sees the work we do. God knows the effort we put in. And he knows we desire to invest in his kingdom, but we can never, and hear this, we can never lose the reason. Never let your service, your gifts, Your talents become an idol because they can very easily. Never let your service to God's church become your identity because it's not. You are a child of God. He gave his very life for you that you would be reconciled to him, not so that you can find pride in serving him. IPC, we have great service. We have great volunteers, we have great giving, we have wonderful things, but I will challenge you now to examine your heart and I will do so as well. Why do we do it? You know, Andy and I as pastors have to do this daily. I am constantly asking God to reveal pride in my heart, to reveal this power I might be able to abuse because it is a terrible fear of mine. We've all read stories about the pastors who cling to pride and cling to power and then what happens. Anyone who ever has been hurt by a church or has a good friend who's been hurt by someone who's abused power knows how horrible it is. And it starts with us. For us here at IPC, we need to have great humility in serving Christ because even though you may say, well, I don't have much of an ego, (laughs) you do. We all do. We all have egos. And many of us know exactly what I'm talking about when our service becomes an idol, when we are identified by the things we do, not Christ inside of us. We become inflexible. We become possessive and prideful. We forget about the church and Christ and we do these things for our own gain. That people would look at us and say, wow, look how great he is. Look how great she is. Church, this is a really big deal, and I've seen it affect other churches, and I've seen it affect churches I've been in, where it's like a disease. It's like this sneaky sin that comes in, and we don't see it coming, and everyone is just as in their own little world, serving in all of their own ways, thinking that everything is perfect. But we forget our first love, which is Christ. So I challenge you this morning, why do you do what you do? Why are you an elder? Why are you a deacon? Why do you volunteer? Why do you serve? Do you do it to feel better about yourself? To share how great you are, how much you've learned? Do you sometimes think that this is the best way for you to feel loved and to feel your self-worth and identity? If so, Christ says, repent. That we ought to repent of the service we do for ourselves. I have to do this all the time, church. 
Let me challenge you also. There may be someone in this room or part of this church or part of Christ's church somewhere you have a conflict with. Maybe it's over the management of their ministry. Something they said or did that you just didn't like because that's not how you do it. Maybe they do things differently than you do and it's caused a fight or it's caused a rift or it's caused a disagreement. And our pride and our sin and our desire to be vindicated has held us apart. Our volunteering, our service, our best efforts of theology, our best efforts of of, of hard work and diligence, they're Christ's, they're not yours. They're done in the name of Christ crucified and resurrected, not in your name. So church, do not forget your first love. And this first love, by the way, is nothing new. That's why we read the passage from the prophet Hosea said, this is no new love. Jesus Christ is just the continuation of God's love for his creation that he has had forever. God's love for his people that he will never leave those whom he loves. But we have forgotten this. Because we've been serving for reward. We've been seeking some sort of gain. But that gain has already been given. Let us not forget that God, through his amazing love, gave us the ultimate reward before any of us were even on this earth. The hope of glory. Life spent in eternity without any of these quibbles, without any of this fighting, without any of this pain with our God who loves us. A promise of life with him, a gift that cannot be taken by any power this world might possess. And so as a church, may we never forget our first love. May we love others, may we serve, may we be diligent, may we work hard, may we do all of these things seeking Christ's kingdom first and ourselves second. Amen? Amen, let's pray. Lord, we give ourselves to you knowing that we are imperfect. Lord, I repent now of any action I have done seeking approval from fellow man. Lord, I ask that you would renew us all with a spirit of repentance. And then, Lord, through the power of the spirit, give us love for our brother and our sister. That we would go into not only the church, but the world and serve others through your love. Because you showed us how to love first. Lord, take away our pride, take away our egos. Lord, if we serve, let us serve for you. Lord, if we teach, let us teach for you. If we speak, Lord, let it be your words and not our own. Lord, you are good. Our lives are proof of that. This place you have set us all is proof of that. The blessings we see around us is more than we ever deserve. And our response is not earning. Our response is love. Lord, teach us how to love, that we would love your sons and your daughters, today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen.